Hi everyone, I'm Ashley Hasty, and I am the new co-host of the Best of Women's Fiction podcast with Lainey Cameron. I'm a book blogger at hastybookless.com, a college fashion and marketing instructor, and an aspiring author working on a historical fiction manuscript. In this episode, Adele Myers and I chat about her debut novel, The Tobacco Wives, a book Fiona Davis, New York Times bestselling author of The Magnolia Palace, described as a story of courage of women willing to take a stand in the face of corporate greed and most definitely a tale for our times. Hi, Adele. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. Before we dive into the book, can you tell me a bit about your journey to publication? Like start with your background. What did you study? Sure. Sure. Yes. I, so I studied journalism. I got a journalism degree from the um, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And so I've always written. I started out by writing short stories and actually the Tobacco Wives started out as a short story in a class that I was taking at night over 20 years ago. So it's been a very long journey. I focused on short fiction for a while and then, you know, decided at a certain point that I wanted to to pursue writing a novel, you know, had been working on it for about eight years, the last eight years, you know, in between my, my day job as an advertising executive and raising a son. And so it's been a long journey. So what inspired you to make the transition from journalism Initially, when I when I was in college and I was studying journalism, I I gravitated to advertising, which is actually the field that I ended up uh, working most of my career in, and I, I still work in. And was the Tobacco Wives your first manuscript you ever wrote, or were there others that were shelved either indefinitely or for the time being? Well, it it was my first manuscript, although I have to say it's probably been completely rewritten and revamped like six times. And I've, I went through three different titles. Initially it was called The Clearing, and then it was called Brightleaf, which is the fictional name of the town where the book is set. And then actually during the process of pitching agents, I decided to change the title. And I spent a lot of time really crafting my pitch. And it was very interesting because I got a lot more interest with this title and with this new pitch, even though the manuscript was in the same shape. I find that so interesting how titles can make such a difference for how interested someone is. Well, now that we've covered how you got to this point, I do want to dive more into the book, The Tobacco Wives. So can you tell our listeners what The Tobacco Wives is about? So The Tobacco Wives is the story of a young seamstress, 15-year-old Maddie Sykes, who finds herself suddenly immersed in the world of the, the wives of the wealthy tobacco executives in the fictional town of Brightleaf, uh, North Carolina. And to her, you know, she comes from a lower socioeconomic background. And to her, you know, she really looks up to these, these women, these wealthy, beautiful women who seem to have it all. So you grew up in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm supposedly not too far away from fictional Brightly, where the novel takes place. Do you remember the first right. time you heard the story of the Tobacco Wives? Was this a story you grew up hearing or did you learn about it later? My One of my grandmothers was a hairdresser and she did the hair of the wives of R.J. Reynolds tobacco executives. So I always knew about 
about that. And then my other grandmother was a seamstress and she specialized wedding gowns and also in evening wear. And so in many ways, it was more my imagination and kind of what I did with the idea of these women. You know, they did, my grandmothers did call them the tobacco wives. I think what was interesting to me during the process of writing this book too, is I realized that everyone was kind of wed to tobacco in one way or another in, in North Carolina during this time. And it was actually a tremendous source of pride that people had helped to build the tobacco capital of the South. And so, you know, that kind of gets to the crux of this conflict that my protagonist faces and also that I struggled with. It's, you know, how, 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 you know, must these people have felt to realize that their pride and joy of the state and everything that they had built was actually harming people, killing people. And then what do you do with that knowledge? Because there's so much at stake. Yeah. It's hard for us to imagine now knowing what we know already. About I know it, it really is. Yeah. That was one of the things that I struggled with a bit. And I, I talked to my father about it because both of my parents grew up in Winston-Salem and my father worked in the summers when he was a teenager, he worked in some of the tobacco factories in the cigarette factories. And I said, you know, how, like, it's hard for me to imagine that they really didn't know that it was dangerous. And he said, they we really didn't. That Maddie says at one point in the book that how could tobacco, something so natural be so harmful to people. And I thought that was in one line, an excellent encapsulation of what people thought at that time. Yes. I actually, I like that line as well. You know, it's, it's, I think people saw it as a gift of the land and their good hard work. You know, it's like, how, how could that possibly be bad? So yeah, that, that's, that's one of my favorite, (laughs) my favorites as well. Pictured on your website, which I would encourage our viewers and listeners to check out are a number of visuals from the 1940s, including tobacco advertisements that you say help informed your novel. So could you expand on your research process a bit besides the advertisements? Pinterest boards where I not only, you know, pulled examples of advertising from the time, but also, you know, fashion, what were women wearing? You know, one of the things that's that's fascinating, I think, about historical fiction is you really have to check every little detail. And so even, you know, looking up photos of, okay, what did telephones look like? And was it common for everyone to have a phone in their home in 1946? Things like that. So I used a lot of visual references, but I also found a number of books that were really helpful. One in particular addressed the role of Southern women during that time, and there were personal stories that really shed light on kind of this image of the Southern Belle and what was expected of women and the the fact that women were not, that it was frowned upon for them to, you know, express themselves, you know, in many ways. And that was another thing that I found interesting because you you know, looking at these wealthy women, you would think, oh, they have all this power. But when you really look at what what things were like at that time, they they had influence, but they didn't really have true power. So anything that they need, any change that they wanted to to drive, you know, they had to kind of find creative ways to do it, you know, through their husbands, through 
through relationships, through women's groups. So I found that fascinating. And then as far as the tobacco, the downfall of big tobacco, I was able to read through the congressional archives to see, you know, when the heads of the tobacco companies, the major companies were questioned in front of Congress about what they knew and when they knew it as far as uh, nicotine being addictive. So all of that's available. Like, and I, I love looking at old documents and, you know, kind of reading verbatim transcripts and things like that. I imagine researching big tobacco had some more difficult moments. Today, we are well aware of the harm of tobacco can do, but mm-hmm. that hasn't always been the case. What are some of the more difficult right. things that you learned or stories you heard while researching? Well, a couple of the, like the practices in the factory, you know, mm-hmm. there are a couple of scenes in the book. There's one in particular that is based on my family experience working in a factory that um, they would sweep up you know, the discarded tobacco and whatever else happened to be on the floor. So dust, you know, whatever it was, and take that to a separate factory that was under guard. And this is true. Like, this is the way it worked. It was, you know, high security. No one was supposed to know what was going on there. And they would cook this, you know, the remnants from the floor and put them into the no-name non-branded cigarettes and it was called recon for short so that stands for reconstituted so reconstituted cigarettes so that was pretty alarming to me just to know that practice and I thought gosh that's really disgusting and you know and telling and you know the conditions in the factories as well were really really awful and I think factory work in general is is very difficult but the exposure to the smoke, the fumes, you know, and the long hours and all of that. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting. I also s- decided to set the book in the the end, of, like the mid to late 1940s, because that's when a lot of women had taken over jobs for men who were at war. And the men were beginning to come back from World War II and they wanted their jobs back. And so I really was fascinated by how that dynamic, I think, and a lot of scholars will say that 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 time was really the the origins of the modern women's rights movement, because these women had an opportunity to make their own money, many of them for the first time in their lives. So I also thought it was interesting to look at these wealthy women who it was frowned upon for them to work outside the home, because, you know, the husband should be able to take care of are these women who, although these are difficult jobs, see that they can take care of themselves, they can support themselves. You know, there's real freedom in that, that these wealthy women didn't have. Was there a piece of research, some fact or story that you wanted to include in the novel, but it didn't fit the story for whatever reason or had to be cut? In the book now, you know, it focuses squarely on the maternal fetal effects of smoking. And and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the main focus. In earlier drafts, I also had a storyline around like the the lung, like lung issues, asthma, lung cancer. And really that's where the first science began to emerge um, that linked cigarettes to, you know, ill health effects. So some of that was interesting, like, yeah. you know, and 
it started in Europe and and you know the only reason they were able to to make the connection is because the cases of of lung issues and lung cancer and disease just like skyrocketed at the same time that smoking became popular and it was it was pretty clear another thing that i thought was interesting but also alarming is that you know the first study to come out about the link between smoking and um, disease only looked at men and the effects on men and it took another 16 years before the surgeon general looked at the effects on women and that's still the case now like a lot of times um research that's done in the pharmaceutical industry uh is only done on men and you know i think it's interesting like there's a line from a cigarette ad you know you've come a long way baby um and i'm like have we come a long way baby how far have we come (laughs) i think we have but we haven't in some respects yeah Well, you're the first debut author I'm interviewing for this podcast, so I'm especially interested in your perspective on this next question. What advice do you have for aspiring authors who don't yet have an agent or a publishing contract? I think what was really important for me is to set the intention, you know, that I and believe that it's possible. And, you know, I made I made a very clear decision. I had always kind of wanted to do this, um, you know, wanted to publish a book someday, you know, and had this dream. But at a certain point, and I, I think what encouraged me to to commit to do it is I got a small piece published. It was a, a nonfiction, a creative nonfiction piece, like an essay that I wrote. And I it was published on a literary in a literary online magazine called Literary Mama people were able to comment and that gave me such a vote of confidence. I thought, wow, you know, I, I got something published and then I just started working, working toward it. You know, I kind of put that, put that out there, set that intention for myself. And then it was really, I think over time, I, I just would take actions. I signed up or not signed up, but I was invited to be a part of a, a writer's group with a couple of other women. I live in Brooklyn um, and one of my neighbors is a published author. She's a YA author. And she said, you know, why don't you, you know, join this group with us, a small group. And three of the women were published authors. And, you know, I had probably one chapter of The Tobacco Wives, um, which was called something else at the time. And the feedback from them really encouraged me. You know, they said, we think you can get this published. And I was like, wow, really, really? You know, so it was kind of a journey. It was a long journey. That sounds kind of um, cliche, but it really was. It was a, you know, it it takes a lot of perseverance, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to doubt yourself and there are lots of ups and downs and that's okay. Just keep at it. Just keep working towards it. That is one of the things I love about this industry is that it's very tough, but authors are the most supportive people. And if you can find a good group of them, and it's not hard to find a good group of them, they're the most supportive of other authors' careers as well. Absolutely. Uh, Tell us a bit about your reading world. What authors do you draw inspiration from or what books would you recommend right now? It's, It's interesting. I am reading a lot of debut novels right now. Um, I just finished The Maid by um, Nita Prose, which 
was delightful and was, you know, very different from, you know, my genre of historical fiction. But I really enjoyed the unique voice. I don't know if you've read it yet, but, you know, there was such a distinctive voice to this character and, you know, just drew me into this world. So I, I really like to escape, you know, as we all do into a good story. I also just started the School of um, Good Mothers, just also a debut novel that um, is fascinating. It, yeah, I'm, I'm only a few chapters in, but it seems to be kind of a, it takes the, the idea of, you know, being a good mother to an extreme you know, there's a, this world where basically the main character leaves her young child alone for a very brief period. And it's discovered that she did that and the child is taken away. And I think she's going to end up in a school for good mothers where she's going to learn how to be a good mother. So that's very interesting. But, you know, when I look back at the books that really influenced me and that, um, you know, had a lasting impact on me as a writer, I would say Maya Angelou. Um, I read mm. I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings in high school. And I just, that voice and the the raw honesty of that book really spoke to me and has always stayed with me. I feel the same way about Amy Tan and the Joy Luck Club, mm -hmm. just kind of exploring those deep emotional connections. Um, and, you know, she did that. And at the time, I think there weren't many writers who were really delving into those relationships between mothers and daughters in such a, a raw, honest way. Well, I believe once people read The Tobacco Wives, they'll be eager for another book from you. Do you have a work <laughs> in progress? What can you tell us about it? I am in the research phase on my next book, still in the concepting stage, but I think uh, it's safe to say that the setting will will be in the South again, and it will relate to uncovering truth, the tr uncovering uh, difficult truths and um, secrets. Okay. I also <laughs> want to share how people can find you. Your website sure. is AdeleMyersAuthor.com. You're Adele J A M on Twitter and Instagram, and on Facebook Adele.Myers1. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered yet? I would just like to thank you so much for having me. I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting about this whole process of, of getting published and leading up to the launch of the book is just all the support of book bloggers and, um, you know, Bookstagram and these communities are just incredible. So, you know, I really feel like there's this whole network of of you know new readers and writers um who you know i'm now a part of that has been you know very very um supportive and gratifying so thank you uh, well it's our pleasure before we wrap up there were a few personal items that i wanted you to share uh with our video viewers sure sure so you know I edited the book during the lockdown so of COVID, like back in uh, late 2020. Mm -hmm. And so I kept um, a lot of little items with me. This is a, this is a, an antique thimble that my grandmother, the seamstress uh, left to me when she passed away. And there's a, a little tobacco flower on there. 
I, you know, helped her and assisted her when I was a little girl with some of her sewing. I, I don't know how much help I was, but I attempted to help her. <laughs> you weren't um, natty to her? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of the details about, like, there's one detail about the scissors. Like, there are certain scissors mm -hmm. for cutting fabric. And she was very particular about that because I would try to cut all kinds of stuff. The other thing is, you know, my family just was so the roots to Winston-Salem and the tobacco town and even RJ Reynolds ran and still run very deep. And this is a charm bracelet that my mother left to me. And my mother and father met at RJ Reynolds High School. So there's a big R from their junior and senior prom, 1963. <laughs> and that's not for our last name. That's for Reynolds. <laughs> so um that was really interesting. And then I have a couple of examples of ads and there are, are ads on my website. So for those of you who are not tuning in by video, you can take a look there. But um, just to give you a sense, you know, some of these were so, this one is for Lucky Strike. And it says, is this you five years from now? When tempted to overindulge, reach for a Lucky instead. And it shows this outline of an overweight woman and a thin woman. And so, you know, it's just was, there was such blatant, you know, campaigns out there that positioned cigarettes as, you know, this product that was going to keep you thin and that was going to make you beautiful. And this one is an example of a camel ad. And this says not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking. Nine out of 10 doctors recommend camels or smoke camels. So, you know, they also, they used physicians in order to legitimize cigarettes and, you know, give the product credibility. And at the time, there weren't that many regulations. Later, the Federal Trade Commission cracked down on that kind of false advertising. But at the time, they were able to make pretty much any claims that they wanted to make. And looking back, you can kind of see, I mean, I've worked in public relations and advertising for 20 plus years. It's called market shaping. It's basically when you know that you want to shape, you know, public opinion in a certain way. And, you know, I believe that knowing that the, the science was going to come out eventually about the dangers mm -hmm. of smoking, that they purposely went out with messages about the health benefits and used doctors and other professionals to, you know, lend credibility to those messages. Well, this is fascinating. I am loving the tobacco. For links to the books mentioned in this episode, the author's social media, and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of this same episode. I'd love it if you followed me, Ashley Hasty, on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here. And if you enjoy it, please share with friends. 